You ever felt like giving up? I want to talk to you about that today. I, as a, a young man in college, really seeking after God and, and trying to follow him, I, I started thinking about life and I knew a lot of people, they would have a, a project in life. Like some people, their project, their dream was to build a, a great business and uh, you know, others it would be maybe some kind of, uh, of hobby or for somebody else, you know, get their PhD. All these different things that they would have. And as I was praying before the Lord, one of the things he impressed on me, I wanted my project to be a life well lived. I wanted this one and only life that God gave me to be an amazing life, full out for him. And I, I just told him even at that time, let my life be like, like a gift back to you. Let it work out that way. You've got to do it, though. I can't do it. And as I look back over my life up to this point, and I like to think of it as a halfway point, but it might be a little further than that, you know, um, I, I think that overall I, I'm fairly satisfied in most areas. There's always things you wish you could do over, but there's one area that, that I know is... What, one of the things I still need to be working on. And, and that is in the area of discouragement and of giving up too soon. I, I feel like I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and I hope I hear well done, you know. But I also know that he's going to kind of talk over our lives a little bit. And I kind of think that there's going to be some times that he says, Mark, if you would have just kept going on that church plant that you started in, in Mexico City that was so hard and and you went for a while, it seemed like a long time to you, but then you gave up and decided, well, that must not be what, if you'd have just kept going, let me show you what it would have been. And I'm going to go, ah, you know, I thank God I didn't give up on my marriage. I almost did about year seven and Laura and I were struggling so much and God just came through and as we went to counseling, it was excruciating, uh, time and so much work and effort but it was so worth it and you know where would we be today if if I hadn't followed through on that if Laura hadn't followed through on that so I want to talk to you today about how not to give up when you get discouraged what do you do when you're feeling like I just can't do this anymore what do you do I had a a friend the other day he was talking about another friend of his and who was getting a divorce and he said, I just, my, he said, my hope for him, my dream for him, he said, I want to sit down and talk to him because my dream for him is that if he gets this divorce that he'll be able to look back and say, I did everything possible, every single possible thing that I could for this not to happen and so that he would have no regrets and he said, I, I know he hasn't done that yet, I know that's not where he is. So let, let's talk about that a, a, a little bit, I think the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament is in the Bible because it gives the cures and the causes uh, of discouragement. It's a really interesting time in the Jewish people's lives. They were returning back to Jerusalem after being in exile in Babylon. Babylon had conquered them, taken all the people of Jerusalem off to Babylon, and now they were starting to return. This was the third wave of the Jewish return back to Jerusalem, but the Babylonians had torn down the, the whole wall, protective wall around Jerusalem. And, and so they were trying to build the wall back. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. 
in Babylon. Uh, he was a Jew, and he heard about how they had struggled and they were ready to give up in the rebuilding of the wall. Now, the cupbearer not only brought the, the drinks to the king, but he had to also sample them because, you know, a lot of people wanted to poison the king. So it was kind of a, a, a lot of um, trust was put in this guy, and he would also be the first to, to die for the king, you know. And so the king sees him one time looking kind of sad, and he says, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah kind of freaks out because the, the king doesn't really like sad people in his presence, you know. And he's like, sometimes they just cut their heads off, and you're not sad anymore, you know. So, so he just tells him what's going on about Jerusalem. And he said, I just feel for my people back there. And he says, why don't you go back and lead them? you got the ability to do that. And it's just like an answer from God. So Nehemiah goes back. And he gets back, and let me kind of catch up. Look in your sermon notes if you want. It'll be up on the screen. Or if you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll look at verses 6, and then we'll look at 10 on, okay? So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's no there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall also our enemy said before they know it or see us we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over wherever you turn they will attack us therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So in this little passage, we see Four causes, four causes of discouragement. And so let's look at them, okay? And if we see them, maybe you'll recognize them in your life today. The first one is fatigue. Fatigue. In verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. The, the number one cause of discouragement, I think, is physical fatigue. I mean, they had worked 52 excruciating days in a row, and their body was just worn out. The way God built us, he didn't build us to just keep working, 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 working without a rest. In fact, rest was so important, he put it in the Big Ten, you know, the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and how do you, how do, you do that? You rest, you focus on God, but you relax. And, and that's what God intended for us to do. You know, sometimes when someone comes to me really discouraged, feeling like giving up, I tell them, just go home and get a good night's sleep tonight if you can. And we can talk in the morning because it's amazing what a good night's sleep can do for discouragement. Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I, and I think that's true. Frederick W. Taylor in 1898 did a study, uh, this huge scientific study. And you know what he proved? That in the workplace, people produce more 
if they have periodic breaks. He called them coffee breaks. Did you know that's where that came from? There's a new study out that said you really shouldn't work people more than 30 hours a week. Good luck with that one, but that that's their most productive time. The rest of it, they're just messing around. We can probably, you know, say that's probably true too, right? So when does fatigue set in? Look what it says. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height. It's like at the halfway point. It's, they've gotten halfway up. All the way around the city, basically the wall is half built. And that's when I think we get fatigued in a project or in a life or in a marriage so much of the time. I mean, everybody's got energy when, when you start. I've never seen anybody, you know, dancing with their bride at the, the dance at the wedding reception going like, well, I'm about done. I'm tired now. I think I'm out, you know? No, you're excited at the beginning, right? And, and, and that's what you feel. I mean, the last time I went on a really serious diet, I think it was 19, uh, no. But I remember I had lost about 20 pounds and, and, and kind of was about halfway to my goal because I was trying to lose about 40. And I just like, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of doing this. And, and, and it wasn't successful. You can't tell that, but it wasn't. And, you know, it's just so like us. We, we get halfway up the mountain and we look and see how far We've got to go, and we're like, well, maybe it wasn't God's will for me to climb this mountain after all, you know? Thinking maybe it's going to take me a while to get back down to the bottom again. And, and, and that's just, that, that's what we do. So fatigue. That's why so many people don't finish. What about the second one, frustration? Frustration, we see that in verse 10 too. There is so much rubble. The first cause, fatigue. The second, frustration. I mean... The rubble that builds up in our lives and, and those little things that begin to build up and, and it just begins to frustrate us. When I was uh, in college in the summers, I would come home and work construction. And have you ever been on a construction? I mean, the rubble that builds up while you're doing it. This, these people had so much rubble, bricks, mortar, all this stuff of a wall that was a huge wall broken down all around it and it became frustrating they had to try to walk over the rubble get the rubble out of the way so we can build those of you who are still out of your homes from Hurricane Harvey you know what it means to have rubble right or those of you who are on the second floor I think that would be even harder if you had to live in the house and work on the first floor and we feel for you we're still praying for you and I know it just takes a long time to get this stuff done but the the, the rubble about once a year, I, I, in the past, I, I've kind of done this project where I, I go into my closet, and it's called Reorganize the Closet Day. And, you know, if the rest of my house looks amazing, it's because I stuffed it all in the closet. But I'll go in there, and I've got, I mean, it was, you couldn't even walk in. And, and it's not a small closet. It's one of those big walk-in closets, you know, that kind of goes back around the corner. Uh, but you still couldn't walk in. You never, I didn't even know I was around the corner, you know. But... I would go in and I would kind of just pull everything out once a year, pull it all out. I had so many sentimental things in there, things, oh, you remember, I, oh, that, I, you know, I hadn't seen it in, in like six years, but it was great. I found it, it's back there hidden in the closet, 
oh, look at all that. And I would have it all out. And then the day would be over, so I would just stick it all back in and wait till next year. You know? And, and so finally, I, this year, I just said, Laura, I'm going to go out for the day. You take care of my closet. And she was so happy. And I came back, and my closet, it looks amazing. All of those sentimental things that I, I, I don't even know what they are, you know? They're gone. I'm sure they're in the trash. But, you know... It, 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 it worked. It's amazing. You got to get all these little things that, that build up. What about the, your desktop? You know, what about, you know, the dresser in the, in the bedroom? It's like, I swear that stuff multiplies at night like rabbits, you know. It's like it reproduces or something. And it, I don't know how it does it, but it, it does it. So what, what about a job that's never finished, mom of a preschooler, right? Are you tired? They're only... Halfway to school. I mean, they're like three, you know. They still got to look. I know you feel like, oh, I just want to give up. It's so hard. When, when Laura and I started Community of Faith, we're getting ready to celebrate our 15th anniversary coming up here pretty soon. Isn't that awesome? Community of Faith, 15 years old. But I remember that first Easter, 2003, we started the church. And, you know, we didn't want to just have church people come. And, in fact, I didn't want any church people from other churches to come because I didn't want to pull from them. I wanted to reach people far from God and unchurched. And so um, we sent out these brochures and, you know, I didn't know if it was a good strategy, if anything was going to happen because people that don't go to church, you know, they don't go to church because they don't want to go to church, right? So maybe nobody was going to come. So that first Sunday, we had already practiced. I mean, we had worked so hard. I even, we practiced the whole service because our Music team was really inexperienced and actually pretty bad. And, um, the, uh, you know, and so I even preached my whole sermon, everything. And, and we waited that day and 187 people came. And it was amazing. They were, you know, it was, so, I don't know if any of you were there, but it was fun. Everybody's cussing, swearing, and they were unchurched. It was awesome. They were like, blankety blank of a sermon today, pastor, you know, and I'm going like, ah! My people, you know, and it was awesome, and Laura and I got home, we were exhausted after, you know, we had to put everything back in the box at Goodson, my Radio Shack, I actually went to Radio Shack to get the speakers, if you can imagine, it was quite the deal we had there. A lot of these churches now, you know, they're starting and they have like a million dollars worth of stuff, I think we had like $8,000 worth of stuff, you know, and everything, that included all the nursery and everything. But we got home and I was just exhausted and we looked at each other and go, I think it's a church. I think it's a church. Oh my gosh, we've got to do this again next week. <laughs> you know, and, and you feel like that? Maybe you have a job like that. It's like week by week by week. Well, some of you have some deeper rubble that you're dealing with. It's the rubble of that dysfunctional family growing up. I mean, and it was pretty bad. Let's just admit it. And you're a survivor, and I congratulate you. But, you know, some of the things that you're using that you had to develop as a tool to survive in a family like that, you're still using as an adult. And, and that's why Paul talks about putting away childish things. It's not working for you now. It's not working in that relationship, in that marriage now. So there's rubble, and we have to deal with that. Another thing is failure. Not only frustration, but failure. They said we can't rebuild the wall. 
They're saying, we never even should have started this. I mean, they got halfway done. And here's the thing. They thought that they would be totally done by now. And they're only halfway done because it's a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. And so they just said, why did we even start this? Uh, I, 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 it's ridiculous. Why did we ever think we could do this? And they lose their enthusiasm and they get discouraged. How do you respond to failure? Do you whine? Yes. Complain? Yes. Do you feel like giving up and, and walking away? Do you blame others? You know? And there's always, some people take it on themselves when there's failure and other people blame others. And those people usually end up getting married so it works out great, you know? Like, oh, we're not going to make it. I just can't believe I didn't, I, I, I can't believe I didn't make it. I, I failed and the other one's going, yes, you did. You know, that's not helpful, is it? So we have all of these things. And then there's fear. Write that down, fear. Also, our enemies said before they know it or see us, we're going to kill them and put an end to their work. The background of this story is there's some enemies. He didn't want the wall to work. And, and, and they were upset. They, they liked Jerusalem weak, the other tribes that lived around them. They didn't want them to get the wall built, to get back strong and, and be the center of that part of the world. They liked them like they were. And so they ridiculed the builders and then they criticized the builders. And finally they threatened the builders. We're going to kill you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you just enjoy being criticized? It's just fun for you. Now, no one's ever raised their hand on that, you know. It, it's not fun. It's difficult. But if you ever have a vision, you're going to get criticized. If you ever are in the public eye at all, don't Google yourself, okay? Because somebody out there is criticizing you. I remember we'd been going about three or four years, and I just thought, I wonder what people are saying about community of faith out there. Such an amazing thing that God's doing. And so I Googled. Mark shook to see what was going to be said. And the first thing that popped up was this guy that had this big thing about it. And he said, Mark shook, the evil twin of Joel Blostein's cousin in the woodlands. That's pretty funny, actually. You got to admit. The evil twin of Joel Blostein's cousin in the woodlands. And I'm going like, what? And then I started laughing. I said, they called Carrie Joel Blostein's cousin. That's hilarious. Forget the evil twin part, but I thought, people, some people don't like me. And that, that just seems impossible to me, that you couldn't like me. I mean, I'm just so likable. How do you not like me? But they didn't like me, and that's just true. People are going to criticize you if you have a vision. They, they just, they're, they're just going to. And why do you get afraid? Listen to to, to what it says in verse 12 the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over wherever you turn there will attack us do you live near negative people that are always telling you it's doom and gloom I mean what are you reading the news all the time you know and it, like the world is going to end like tomorrow right and, and uh, every, the dollar is going to drop to zero I mean you read some of those kind of things and it's like man you just I need to go just live out in the boonies somewhere and 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 put, you know, live off the grid. We were talking about that. Some of my friends go, we just need to go live off the grid. I said, we would die like in a week. 
It wouldn't matter what happened to the rest of the world, you know, we wouldn't even know what to do off the grid. So, what do you do? You're discouraged. Fear, failure, frustration, fatigue. Well, what's the cure? Let's look at that. I want to make sure we have time for that. The cure for discouragement, luckily it's right here in this passage too. The first thing, I call it restore balance. Restore balance. And you'll see it through this little book of Nehemiah. But what Nehemiah did, he gave a little rest to the people. He called some holidays. He said, look, we need to have some holidays and celebrate God and him bringing us back to, to, to this place. I know we're not done yet, but let's stop and have a holiday. And it refreshed the people's spirits. Rest your body. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. The Bible says, also, you made my body, Lord. Now give me sense to heed your laws. Eat right, exercise, relax, balance. That's why God put it in the Ten Commandments. Because he knows how he made us. In fact, you know what's so interesting about all of this? The reason why the people of Israel were in Babylon for 70 years, it was God's punishment because for 490 years, they had never done what he said about taking time off. And he said, that adds up, you know, that adds up to about 70 years. And you're going to go out there and you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And maybe you'll take a rest when people are telling you you're going to live out here. You know, it's interesting. Another thing that you need to do, the second one, reset. Reset your priorities. That's the second cure. You know, when we're discouraged, take a look at our life. And instead of just giving up, maybe we need to uh, adopt a different approach. Do you have a problem in your marriage? Maybe, maybe you don't just need to bail on your spouse. Change your approach. Get some counsel. That's what Laura and I did. And after, you know, we didn't even, we couldn't afford it. I could have done a commercial and say, MasterCard saved my marriage, you know, because we had to put it on our credit card, but we, we, the, the, our marriage turned around, then we just had to get out of debt after that. But, but, but you know, it, it's, it's important that we try some different things. You're having a problem at your job, don't give up. Change your priorities. When Nehemiah saw that the people got discouraged, it says this in 4.13. Nehemiah said, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places posting them by families with their swords spears and bows he said I'm going to put you you're, you're discouraged you're all out there as individuals and you're discouraged I'm going to post you in little groups of families support groups where these families as, as families you can support each other and he reorganized he reset you see it doesn't mean when you're discouraged that you're doing the wrong thing necessarily. It could mean you're doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. So, so look at that. If you're going into debt, reorganize your budget. If you're overcommitted, reorganize, reset your time schedule for the things that are important. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he, he, he said, on a regular day, I spend an hour with God in the morning. But if I have a really busy day, I spend two hours with God in the morning. I thought... Wow, no wonder his life was so impactful. If you're out of shape, reorganize your lifestyle, your eating patterns. That's what 
Nehemiah did. I, I'm so amazed at Americans. We have plans for everything, business plans, vacation plans. But most of us never put together a life plan. How are we going to live each day? How are we going to walk this out? How are we going to do this? There's a, a series of studies on high-performance people. And they figured out there's one thing that all high-performance, well, there's like five things. But one of them that all high-performance people have in common is support. They have a support group, someone around them that supports them. Did you know that 50 times in the New Testament, it uses the phrase one another? It says, serve one another, love one another, help one another, pray for one another, greet one another, encourage one another. If you're the Lone Ranger, you're going to get discouraged. In 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was built, and it was at the time, the longest suspension bridge ever built. And what was sad is in the first part of the first phases, 23 men fell to their deaths building the Golden Gate Bridge. Did you know that? Into the icy waters below. And, and it almost came to a halt. And so, but instead of giving up on the bridge, they reset, they, they stepped back and took a look. And you know what they did? They built the biggest net that had ever been built up till that time. And they put it underneath the bridge. And you say, was it worth the time it took to do that and the expense and the cost? Well, ask the ten men who fell into the net after, instead of into the icy waters. And they actually finished the bridge in three-fourths of the time they thought it was going to take. Because the, the workers finally were working instead of sitting up there going like, ah, going to fall, you know. And, and, and so when they reset, it changed Everything, and that's what we need to do. We need to take a look and reset. These people, when they got in these little groups, they were so excited. They, they, they got so re-energized being in these little groups of families that they didn't even want to go home and change clothes. They wanted to stay and work, and they just, it was hard to get them to go home. Whereas before, it's hard to get them to come to work. And it shows what a difference it makes. Here's one of the big ones. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Verse 14, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I said to them, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now let me ask you a question. You know, those people that were sitting around going like, there's so much rubble. There is, was the rubble not there before? Yeah, of course it was. They didn't make the rubble. The rubble came from the wall being knocked down. They just didn't have their eye on the rubble before. They were excited. They were looking at God. They were looking at what he had, how he brought them back and what he was doing. And, but then they got their gaze down on the rubble. Listen, I don't want you to be a bunch of rubble gazers. I want you to be God gazers. You see, when you get your eyes on your circumstances, on yourself, it, just, it can be overwhelming. I, we're in some overwhelming situations. When you start looking at our government, you're going like, oh my gosh, you know. When you look at the moral situation in America, you're like, oh, man. But quit looking. At, look to God. Focus on God. Begin to ask God to move and work and let you make a difference in your sphere uh, of, of influence. And it changes things. Three things to remember when we get discouraged. Remember God's goodness to you in the past. God's goodness to you in the past. I mean, just make a list. He has been so good to you. 
He has been so good to you. It'll, it'll, it'll change your thinking. Remember God's closeness to you in the present. He's right here. You know, he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The Bible says your mom and dad might have even forsaken you. And they'll have to at some point in death if they haven't. But he says, I will never forsake you. Ever. I will be with you always. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, my presence will be there. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to walk you all the way home. Remember God's power for your future. 7,000 promises in God's word about your future. I'll give you the power. I'll help you. The psalmist said, I'm completely discouraged. I lie in the dust. Revive me by what? Netflix. I'll just watch Netflix. No, that's not in there. Um, Go into a good restaurant and overeating. Yeah. Go into the outlet. I'm just going to go to the outlet. No. By your word. By your word. We got to get it back into God's word. His promises and claim them. So rest your body. Reset your priorities. Remember the Lord. And then lastly, go on offense. This is a big one. This is the last part of the verse that I love so much. It says, remember the Lord. He's great. He's awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Don't give in to discouragement. Fight. Resist. D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody was one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived about a hundred years ago and, and, and he said this, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. In fact, he said, you don't determine a person's greatness by their talent or wealth or income or education. You determine their greatness by what it takes to discourage them. I like that. I like that. As Christians, we're in a spiritual battle. Do you feel it? That's what you feel. Maybe some of you just in the last few weeks have come into this relationship with Christ and you thought, all right, I've come into a relationship with God. It's going to be great. And it's like, what is going on? It's a spirit. You just entered into the spiritual battle. The Bible's real clear. We have an enemy. You know, he's called the accuser of the Christians. The accuser. That's one of the titles for Satan in the Bible. That's because he always, you can't do this. You're not worthy of this. Who do you think you are anyway? Why would you even? And just on and on and on and on. Great people simply don't know when to quit. I've known some great people. They weren't more intelligent than the average person necessarily. They they weren't, uh, you know, their personality wasn't some crazy amazing. It was just they wouldn't quit. They would never quit. I just got through watching uh, Winston Churchill in the movie Darkest Hour, I, I, I rented it and, and watched it. I was like, that guy, everyone was against him all the time. Now, he got discouraged, but he wouldn't stay there. And he just wouldn't quit. And he's the reason why the Nazis don't control all of Europe today. Because the rest of his party and the other party, they wanted to sign a peace treaty with Hitler and let him do what he wanted to do with England just so he wouldn't destroy it, but not Winston Churchill. You know, even Brahms, he wrote that lullaby in Goodnight. You know Brahms' lullaby? You sung it to your babies? 
took him seven years to write that little thing. He kept falling asleep at the piano, but no, he didn't. But seven years, it doesn't seem like, but it was, it, it takes time to do things. It takes longer than you think. And listen to the last part, because I want to close with this. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. We've got to fight for our homes. Don't be surprised if your family feels like a war zone. Because it is a war zone. But instead of fighting each other, fight for each other. And, and parents, I, I read this just this week. Never give up parenting a difficult teen. Let me just read you an excerpt. Teen problems usually have to do with hormones, immaturity, and brain development. They're fueled by struggles for independence, identity, and testing of beliefs. But all this is just a phase. That's why in the midst of turmoil, you need to stick with them. Even if you don't feel your teen deserves it, the goal during the battle is to keep your relationship with your teen alive. So decide right now, I'll never, ever quit on you. That's pretty amazing. Reggie Joyner tells about a day when he and his seventh grade daughter, Rebecca, got in a huge fight. They were just screaming at each other. Both of them said things they shouldn't have said. Finally, he got so upset, he just turned and walked out, got in his car and drove off. And in about 10 minutes, he got a phone call on his cell, and it was his daughter, Rebecca. And she said, Dad, I'm sorry. You know I didn't really mean what I said. But then she said this, and he said, I'll, I'll never forget it. But why did you leave? Why did you leave? I, why did you walk out? I need to know that our relationship is worth fighting for. And Reggie Joyner said, I think that's true across the board. What Rebecca was saying, she could have been speaking for all of our sons and daughters. That college girl that's going like, my dad just stopped fighting for our relationship. I know it's been volatile, but he just quit. He just, he, he just turned away. You see, it's, it, it's so important that we keep on, keep on, keep on. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Do all of your children know that you'll never stop fighting for them? Chip Clark writes this, moms and dads need to see their parental role as a marathon. Recognizing that building a relationship in which their child trusts them is even more important than whether they can trust their child regarding the issues of the day. And when your kids are up and out, like mine are now, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's a marathon. Well, what is it that causes you to be discouraged? What is it? Is it fatigue, frustration, failure, fear? Some of you are barely hanging on right now. You're, you're at the, uh, uh, the point of giving up. Don't give up. What I'm asking God for my life from this point on is to be the one who continues to stand. And, and tide, the tide might come in or out. It's going to change. The sands under our feet might shift around, but we're going to keep standing because we're standing on our almighty God and his word and his promises. And we'll be the ones that are standing at the end. I want you to close your eyes with me. I hope this has encouraged you today like it encouraged me. Not done yet. Not done yet. Some of you, you need that support around you. 
you're here this morning, you've been coming for a while, but you really don't know anybody else's name in this place except for the people you brought with you. I want you to change that. See, there's so many places you can connect and get in at Community of Faith and serve and make a difference. We do it all out through the community. We're always out there together. And you can find it. You, all you have to go to the information desk and ask what's coming up. Get involved in it. It's not that hard. Maybe. Maybe you're here and you're just barely holding on. Let me just encourage you. I want you to remember the Lord. Like Amos was singing, he, he, he's great, he's awesome. He's not going to stop. He'll always be here. He's not going to leave you. 